it could be hard getting up, I know. And we are here. I think we know why, but before I patronize you, I was doing some research and I realized that if you had to choose between getting enough sleep, eating right, and exercising, you should choose sleep. It does something to you. As a matter of fact, there's some, I think, unaware consequences if you don't get enough sleep. It affects your brain, it affects sometimes your skin. It, it, it really does, uh, takes a toll on you and then all of a sudden, you realize that you have some drama in the house. Your attitude has been different, you've been talking to your spouse, your kids the wrong way and then now you have to apologize and say you're sorry and repent and, and now you have uh, not just a you problem, you have a us problem. And thus problems grow into our problems. We never see you. We barely hear about you. We have to call you just to figure out what's going on in your life. There's a problem. And it's not sleep that we're going to be talking about today. I mean, what if, what if sleep is just the beginning of the problems? What if we don't get enough sleep and then we're all cranky and frustrated even today and yeah, there's a bigger problem that awaits us, awaits all of us. Maybe that's why we're here, the bigger problem. There's a saying, um, we, can, we can rest when we're dead, and therein lies the problem, that everybody's going to face death one day, just like our Savior did. I'm happy because our Savior, he didn't just die and stay dead nor did he play dead. He resurrected. And I'm, I'm, I'm been looking at this passage in Romans 8 and realizing that Christ did not stay dead and this is the blessing that we have, that it doesn't matter how much sleep you didn't get, that we're here because of the resurrected Christ and him overcoming the big problem of death. It goes beyond just the sleep. In the scriptures, believers are found sleep. I mean, not just the disciples sleep when Jesus was praying in the garden. It wasn't just that sleep. Jesus was praying, yes, and his disciples fell asleep, but there are believers who are called sleep because they were dead. But the anticipation is that they will wake up. You woke up today. Praise the Lord. Um, my hope, though, is that you will wake up, not just from your sleep, but from your death. Uh, Jesus is the way that we can have hope that we will do that one day. And Paul has some words from us about what it looks like, not just for Jesus to resurrect, but some of the blessings that come with us in our resurrection. Paul, in the book of Romans, adjusts addresses quite a few theological topics, and it's a book that a lot of people will run away from because once they get hung up with the ends and the, 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 the throughs, the prepositions, the conjunctions, the phrases, we might not be so comfortable with those, but it's, it's deep. It's something that we need. Uh, he even uh, does a good job, I think, of making comparisons or contrasts in the, throughout the book of Romans. Uh, you see some 
contrast between law and faith in Romans. You even see uh, a comparison between sin and righteousness. Today we'll not only look at that one, we'll look at even this contrast between the flesh and the spirit and the war that they wage against each other. There's a letter of the law and even the spirit of the law, and even there's a theme of slavery contrasted with freedom. Paul does an interesting job at making sure you understand the realities of our circumstances of life. And in understanding those, he wants to put two things together. We're going to put a couple things together today. We're going to talk about death. But in order for us to get the full picture, we have to talk about the life that comes after it. We have to talk about the Christ who didn't just die, but he rose from the dead. Paul highlights this idea of justification where we are declared righteous and in a relationship with God. And we see that heavily in chapters 3 through 5. And he deals with sanctification, this idea of us positionally being set apart, made holy by God, even progressively over time. We see that in chapters 6 through 8, and here we are in chapter 8. Paul, in verse 1, tells us, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a great way to live, knowing that we are no longer condemned. We were stuck. No, no, no. Some of us here are stuck at our jobs. Stuck. We're stuck at our jobs because we've been there for so long. If we were to leave, we would get up with that pension, you know, to let all that money go down the drain. That would be stuck. That, that, you feel like you're in handcuffs, even though you're not. That's another sermon. Um, here, we are... We, we, are not just, we weren't just stuck. We were dead in our transgressions or sins. We were condemned. We had a sentence of death upon us for eternity and yet because of Christ. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Sin and death go hand in hand. Spirit and freedom and life as well. And so as we inch on to our verses for today, we see that there is not only a problem, but there is a solution. Notice verse 8, though. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We have to acknowledge this reality that we cannot please God unless we somehow overcome this flesh problem that we have. This strikes at the heart of the person who thinks that they are good or even good enough to be in the presence of the Lord or even to represent him well, faithfully, here on earth. If you are just simply in the flesh as opposed to in the spirit, God is not happy. He doesn't give you credit for that. And so, we see that in our passage, we may be sanctified by the Spirit, and we should know that we are. 
But in verses 9 through 11, we will examine two reasons to serve our resurrected Christ in hopes that we will experience freedom and the freedom that comes from God. We will notice that there is a death reality because of our sin. And even in the passages, we will understand that there is a resurrection reality that comes with the Spirit. Shall we? Verse 9. However, you are in the flesh, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. However, you are not in the flesh. Paul is using this physical flesh to talk about a metaphorical reality that the church is not under the influence of our physical nature, but instead influenced by the spirit. And we can tell that he's speaking metaphorically because, well, you've, have you checked yourself before? You have a pulse. You have even a covering over these bones and veins and we have flesh. So he's not saying to get rid of the flesh physically to cut your arms off to the point where you don't exist. It's more so a metaphorical reality in this flesh then we can see, we can even feel, sometimes you can smell. And being in the flesh then implies that there's something negative if we are now in the positive, in the spirit. He speaks here of what used to be the case. That's why he says, you are not in the spirit, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. The flesh then, Paul considers as being no good for doing good. If you were to look at the previous chapter, in chapter seven, notice what he says in verse 5, Romans 7, verse 5, for while we were in the flesh, he says the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. He associates the flesh with sinful passions, the things that we go over and go after and we even think about, indulge in, that we know is against God. By the way, the reason why we know sin is bad because God is good. When we understand who God is, we can more appropriately put sin in this category and it is everything against God. Anything. Thought, action, word. Sin is bad. It goes against who God is. So because we can spell the word sin doesn't mean that we're okay. We have to deal with the sin. We have to deal with God and who he is. The problem is God is so good that sin has to be so evil. Here in verse 5, the flesh is, is coupled with simple passions. Now look at verse 18 in the same chapter, chapter 7, Romans 7, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, and he makes the 
qualifier there. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. He can't even do the good that he wants to do. I think that's the same for us. We have a sin problem. Uh, My hope is that that sin problem does not turn into a God problem because one day we will die and we will face judgment. And my hope is that we will have us uh, hear the words, uh, well done, my good and faithful servant. Otherwise, we are sinners in the hands of an angry God, and that's not where you want to be. Paul is clear, there's nothing good in his flesh. And some of us may be concerned because, well, I, when I think of flesh, I think of my skin. Uh, skin is the body's largest organ, and it does quite a few things. I mean, it, it glows. It has what's called epithelial cells, and it's kind of like the gut where it's supposed to protect the inside me from the outside environment. Speaking the gut, my skin can be a reflection of the things that's going on inside. There's an interesting parallel between the gut and the skin. Both have bacteria. There's bacteria inside of your stomach. And it helps to not only process the, and, and deal with the stuff that you, you take in, but it, it, it affects the flesh. And it could... It could contribute to you looking all shiny and glowy and and nice. And so you have to watch what you eat. But today we're not talking about health concerns. We're talking about a death concern. See, it doesn't matter how much you sleep and eat and, and exercise if you have to deal with death. I think we all have to deal with this death. Notice in verse 9, coming back to chapter 8, verse 9 However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit here. It's the Holy Spirit's influence, the third person of the Trinity. I want you to notice that the Trinity is is referenced. Notice even just in verse 9, you see, but in the Spirit, you have the Spirit of God. You even have the Spirit of Christ. The Trinity is right here. There are other terms for this Trinity even. Spirit of the Lord, Luke 4, verse 18. Spirit of your Father, Matthew 10, verse 20. The Lord, the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. There's, there's several references to the Spirit and titles we can give the Spirit, the Spirit is, though, fully God. And so we don't just simply look at the Holy Spirit as some breath of life that just simply fills everybody up. That's, he's not a, just some immaterial uh, existence of oxygen and, and nitrogen and a little bit of carbon dioxide. That's not the Spirit. The Spirit is spirit, not physical. And here, it is this spirit that controls us, that should be compelling us, that should be ruling us and guiding us rather than our flesh, our physical nature. We are no longer in the flesh. We are in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. 
Have you paid attention to those prepositions? The in? You're not in the flesh. You have flesh. You're not in it. You're not controlled by it. You should be controlled and influenced by the spirit. But notice who's in you. The spirit of God. But it's not just that he's in you. Notice the word. He dwells in you. He makes his home inside of you. He, he lives. He, he abides in you. He takes residence in you. And if it is the case, then we can then understand and know that we are in the spirit. We are in the spirit, especially and particularly when we know that the spirit is in us. And he dwells in us. He remains in us. This is different from the Old Testament there are occasions in the Old Testament where there are believers that have the Holy Spirit, by the way. The, the Holy Spirit was active and engaged in the Old Testament. I mean, one, for with creation, Genesis 1, 2, but even just with us in particular. We see occasions and, and, and references to, to people with the Holy Spirit. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit adjusted it a bit with the installation of the New Testament church, he not only was, was there temporarily with believers as in the Old Testament, but he permanently now indwells believers today. This is the indwelling spirit. He indwells. He's in us in a permanent way. He's not just going to leave us. Jesus predicted this in John 14, he said in John 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you sometimes? No, 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 forever. Verse 17, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The Spirit of God dwells in us. In other passages, there is a reference to our body being a temple of God, and God, the Holy of Holies, was in that temple. There's a place for God and where he belongs, where we can go knowing that he will be there. Unlike some of our kids, when we asked them, to do chores. We don't know where they went. Uh, just, uh, unlike a spouse who doesn't want to do the dishes. That's me, by the way. I'm the spouse. Uh, there are, there's a place for God, and that God's place should be in us. And if he is in us, we are in him. This is the, this is the, 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 the beauty of, of, of the curse, that we can have the sense that we can overcome only because of God. He dwells in us. But if anyone does not have the Christ, the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. I wanted to make sure you understood this, that if you don't have the spirit, you don't belong to the Christ. This should challenge some people. 
Because some people's doctrine suggests that you only get the spirit when you're water baptized. Let's talk about it. Uh, if, if you somehow have Christ, you say, I put my faith in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, we, ah, there it is, ah. But somebody said, oh, no, you have to be water baptized before you can get the Holy Spirit. Well, there's a little conflict here. What is the point of believing in Christ? Is it just the step one? Really? And the Spirit, and receiving the Holy Spirit is supposed to be a step two, the final phase? You're not the actual Christian that you should be until then? Notice the grammar, though. Uh, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, notice who, you, who you're supposed to have, the spirit. I, I find this interesting. There's the, the Christ here. So notice the spirit, there's a possession here. The spirit belongs to Christ. There's, the, there's a, a spirit of Christ here. There's a inseparable connection between the Spirit and our Lord Savior. The Christ reference to the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was prophesied to come, the one who was supposed to be the Savior of not only his people but the entire world. He's the only one through which you can be saved. He's the one fully God, already existing in, in glory, deciding to submit to the will of the Father and even come down in this thing called incarnation where he becomes a man and he lives among us and it tells us that he pitched his tent, he dwelt among us. Jesus dwelt among us and he lived his life righteously, perfectly, even to the point of death and he submitted himself to the will of the Father to the point of death, even death on the cross and that Christ not only was dead but he defeated death. Wait. He was dead and confirmed dead, not just on the cross, but also in his burial. Then he defeated death by resurrecting. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ, the spirit of Christ. And if you don't have that spirit, you don't belong to the Christ. You don't belong. He doesn't have you. You, you have to have... The spirit, if you're going to have the Christ, if Christ is going to have you, there is no separation here. We reject the idea that you have to have the Holy Spirit. You gain the Holy Spirit at a later date after you put your faith in Christ because we also believe that you have the spirit when you have the Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, You don't necessarily hear a, it's not a, it's not like it's air. That's not what's happening. Uh, there's a spiritual thing that I can't necessarily explain, um, but the, the spirit is in you then, and he stays. He makes you his home, which is a good thing because um, I don't know if you struggle with this, but uh, sin could be crouched out your door at any moment. Uh, you could be waking up I'm a jolt of something, and then all of a sudden, you hear some sin knocking. Uh, it could be it could easy, easily. I, I submit to you that you want to not only have the Spirit in you, you want to belong to the Christ. 
We have to put our faith in Christ and who he is and what he has done for our salvation. He's fully God and man. He died for our sins and he resurrected. Do you believe? Notice verse 10, if Christ is in you, wait, I thought the spirit was in us. Well, remember, there's not a separation between the spirit and the Christ. This is one of those passages that not only tells us that Christ is with us, Christ is with us, but he's in us. If you thought the spirit being in you was weird, well, here you go. The next verse, Christ is in you. This is not supposed to be controversial necessarily. We need the empowering of God to the point where he's in us. And if you understand the temple analogy that God has a place in the temple where we can go to worship him, we should be able to see that God has made his residence with us and so he's, and he's in us. But notice verse 10, if Christ is in you, you have the spirit, you have Christ. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin. Herein lies the problem. Death. Christ is in you. Uh, I mean, Jesus talked about this. John 17, uh, verse 23, he said, I in them and you in me. These are his words. Galatians 2.20, Paul writes in there, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives outside of? No, it says Christ lives in me. Ephesians 3, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Colossians 1, 27, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, here's the mystery, Christ in you. Paul, even Jesus, they reference the fact that Christ will be in you, not just around you, not just looking over you like a big brother, in you. So if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, notice the problem, you're dead. The body's dead. This is, the, this is the, the, the destiny of us all. Sin has infiltrated, infected us all, and so it's going to somehow start wherever it is, wherever it latches on, inside, outside, wherever it is, it's going to overtake us, overpower us. This is the natural progression that we all must deal with. Thank you, Adam. I mean, some of us are here, we're angry at our dads because they weren't there for us when we grew up. They could have said, I love you a little bit more. They could have treated us a little bit more fairly, let our younger siblings get all the stuff and we didn't really get much. How come they, how come those I was going to use a different word. How can my siblings, my younger siblings, get treated so much better than me and I lived in the same house? What happened? Why did they change? That's besides the point. 
here sin affects all of us I hope we get a little bit more passionate and maybe angry at sin than we are at our fathers or our siblings or our neighbors or our cousins they may have sinned against us I would like to make war against sin. Sin is the one that kept me dead. It's where it has sealed my fate. Sin, because of who God is, I deserve the death. That's the problem. I don't have a way out of it on my own. Sin is, is, is ruled my life. It is something I cannot escape. I try to sometimes. I I pray, I fast, I read the word, right? You're supposed to do those things, but somehow sin is still here. I'm still in this flesh, aren't I? Destined to fail. I'm losing this. I'm losing this. I'm losing this. (sighs) Death is not something I look forward to. As a matter of fact, uh, death has impacted my life in some particular ways. I remember uh, where I was when my mom called me, and she let me know that my dad passed away. And when I heard that, I didn't realize how much of a toll it would take on me. Didn't realize that. But I knew enough to know that God still loved me. And that helped me. I needed to know that quick. Because you hear and see on the movies and you hear from the people of how devastated their life was when something happened and they just leave God and they leave church. Uh, you know, they, you know, it's all these, all these things that they just leave. Like, like, why would I leave a community of people who were there for me before his death because I'm grieving. That, that's not what the Bible says. I shouldn't be doing that. I, I, I mean, the death is only part of it because then you got to figure out how you're going to deal with everything. Then you have your family members who has to deal with the death and such. And then so it's like death is a reality. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be dead too. And with all the mourning, I realized that I have life still. I'm still here. Might as well do something with it. There's still a job to do. We still have work to do. (laughs) We still have work to do. The problem is there's no work you can do to overcome death. So that's why it's important to realize that we have a death reality because of sin. Let me tell you the good part. Look at the rest of verse 10. Yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Spirit alive because of righteousness. We've already seen the spirit of God reference. Here it's not even the Holy Spirit. We're talking about a human spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't need to be made alive. He's already a living spirit. Notice righteousness is not something that the Holy Spirit needs to exist. That's or he belongs to him. It's our human spirit that needs that. 
And that should make sense if you understand what death really is. Death is the separation of the physical you from the immaterial you. There's a material you that's going to be cut off, sliced, de degrading and molding or whatever it is, uh, biodegradable, whatever, pick up whatever term is appropriate. Uh, we're going to be losing all of this, right? But then if we it don't cease to exist. That's not what death means. Death does not mean that we are annihilated, that we cease to exist. We still exist. We're still an entity. We still are a being. We still have some existence. It's just that we have an immaterial aspect of us that we sometimes call a soul. Here it references a spirit. And so the immaterial us is supposed to be made alive, which is a good thing. Notice, we were dead. Why? It tells us the reason, because of sin. Now we get to be made alive, though. Alive. You already know what it means to be alive, <laughs> to not be dead, maybe. Um, so we see this dead reality, but then we see this life reality in here, we are alive simply because of, and it puts it as righteousness. Mm. A righteousness that we never earned. Since Paul had already talked about how the flesh has no intrinsic value in and of itself, according to Paul, this righteousness must then originate from outside of us. So there's this term that people sometimes use called imputed righteousness, where Christ, uh, he not only lived the, the perfect and righteous life, he and his righteousness is accredited to our account. So just how we live, wish that we could wake up one day and have a billion dollars in our accounts. It's like, where did this come from? It, it's probably stolen. Somebody probably put it in their own accident. Like, it's not yours, you know that. <laughs> you know, you, you didn't earn no billion yet. I sure didn't. Maybe that's me. I'm talking. Um, but here, Jesus did earn the righteousness, and he puts it into our account. And so we realize that the righteousness first has to start from outside of us. It doesn't, we don't find it in our flesh. Paul is clear. There's nothing. What can I, what? Good for nothing. <laughs> nothing good dwells in me. I need somebody else to dwell in me now, the Spirit. Now, now, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be in sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's as if Christ became the sin so that we can become the righteousness. Christ earned the blessing and the glory that we get because he accredited his righteousness to our accounts. We needed Christ to die for the righteousness to be our present reality. Galatians 2, 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If we can simply just simply do good works, then there would be no reason for Jesus to die. The problem is none of our good works please God. And I say good in quotes because we consider it good because it's based upon our standard. But God says, I need you to have a faith in me before I even will consider and qualify anything that you do as good. Hebrews eleven six says this, apart from faith, you cannot please God. It's, you have to have a relationship with God for him to actually be pleased in the first place. And so if you could just simply do all these righteous things, 
according to the law, then there would be no need for Christ to even die, let alone resurrect. Remember, there is no resurrection if there's no death. There's no, there's no need to come back to life if you're already alive. So you have to first understand that Christ did die. But he didn't just stay dead and he didn't just come back to life just to live his own life and say, yeah, I made him back. And now everybody, he's just famous, you know what I'm saying? I just, oh, yeah. Good for him. What about me, Jesus? Well, righteousness. The spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now with the, the righteousness of Christ accounted for in our own accounts, we can now do some good things and serve the living God, Hebrews 9. Verse 13, Hebrews 9 verse 13 says, For if the blood of bulls and goats, goats and bulls, and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling those... Um, who have defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Dead works, even the works are dead, to serve the living God. Serve him. Good thing that we are alive. And with resurrection, a resurrection reality for us even, we get to have hopes that when you die, in the end, you will come back to life. It may hit better or more for the person who's paraplegic. who has a mental illness of sorts, who's in certain parts of the world because they look around, they look at themselves and say, this is terrible. I'm going to get a new body one day. But for us who look good, smell good, who wear the nicest of clothes, who have the fanciest of things, we may, death, Man, I like it here. I like what I got. Mm. Dead people. Not knowing that they're dead. Ah. Look at verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. (laughs) I want you to put some pieces together. The Spirit is the one who dwells in you. We already covered that. If, if the Spirit dwells in you, but notice the piece in the middle of the, the Spirit and the dwelling. The Him who raised Jesus from the dead. I, I, I know. I, I, I'm hoping that you already know that the Father raised Jesus from the dead. You, are, you may be convinced of that already. Uh, John 5, 21 says, For just as the Father raises the dead, and gives them life, even so, the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. The Father raises from the dead. Acts 2, 23 to 24 says this, This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death, but God raised him up. 
God raised him up. God raised him up. And here, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, notice what it says then, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, and I'm, I sometimes wonder why is he served verbose? Like why does he use so many words? Why, he already said, he already used that phrase, him who raised Jesus from the dead. Now he's using who, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. I want, to, I want to make sure you understand there needs to be sometimes a repetition. I need you to understand that there needs to be sometimes a repetition. That there's a reality that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, that's why we're here, right? We got here on time, six, sometimes on time. It doesn't matter. We, we, we rose. That's what counts, right? We, we, we came up out of our sleep. We showed up. In acknowledgement that Christ raised from the dead, that Christ raised from the dead, that Christ was raised from the dead. And that notice here, notice, will also give life to your mortal bodies. Will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's go to the end. Through his spirit who dwells in you, the spirit will be the instrument by which he raises you. But notice here, he will give you the life. It's not just the soul. Notice it says your mortal bodies. And I think this is important. I don't want you to get it confused. The mortal part, the diable part, the part that we know is going to go into the grave, decompose all these things, the mortal part of you, your body, is going to gain life. This is a good thing. This is one of the reasons why we don't believe in reincarnation. I don't believe that we come back as a, a butterfly or a frog, one of those ribbits. I don't, we don't do that. We don't come back. I, it's, it's, my mortal body will come back to life because of the spirit that dwells in me. God's... I'd, I will leave the trees to be trees. I want to be human. If, if I'm got to be made in the image likeness of God, I want to I want to be resurrected in that image and likeness. I want to be I want to come back to life because uh, because death um, is 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 messing me up. It's taken enough, man. If if we have to face death, then what are we doing here? If this is the risk we have to take, waking up and acknowledging the resurrection of Christ, we might as well take this. As a matter of fact, if, if death is to come for all of us, you know how many risks we can take for Christ? You're going to die one day. And you're going to resurrect because of the spirit that dwells in you, that dwelt in you when you put your faith in Christ. By the way, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, yeah, you can do that even right now. Even when you go home, it could be on the way there. It could be after while you're eating. You can just talk to God. Make sure you talk to God and ask him to save you. Uh, intervene on your behalf. Maybe I'm using too big of a word. Uh, you need God. You need to ask him not only just to come into your life, but you need to confess that you not only are a sinner, but you need him to save. Sinners need saviors.
notice back here, verse 11, that's how you, the spirit will come and you will know that God will give life to your mortal bodies. I try to give my family a life while they're still here. Uh, you know, life worth living and all the same things that we all want, the happiness and the joy and the, you know, the uh, good man leaves inheritance to his children's children and the, the you hope that your, the people coming after you are going to have wisdom and all these things because you don't know. And then one day I might have a child that knows how to run a business and raise capital. But one day I hope that all of my children will one day raise from the dead. That they will have the Holy Spirit in them while they live. And with that, coupled with the faith that they have in Christ, that they will have a hope that God will have mercy on their souls that they will have life given to their mortal bodies, that even though a child may die, uh, an elderly person may die, that there's a life not just worth living, but a life afforded to us that we didn't deserve, life given to us after death even, that we will see a pain, a separation mended because God will give us life. We can believe this. And for those of us who put our faith in Christ, embrace the Holy Spirit in you. Know that that is the spirit, the pledge, the promise that not only has been given to us so we can know that God is with us and in us, but that God has more promises in store for us. That this is just the beginning. Now may we live like it. Let's pray. Lord, you've been good to us. We have been blessed. We get to know you. We get to serve you. We know that nothing good dwells in us. But if we put our faith in Christ, we will have the spirit in us. That we will be controlled and influenced by the spirit. We pray that that would be demonstrated forevermore. Lord, we thank you that in the end, we will rise again from the dead. Through the spirit who dwells in us. Your promise to us. Your covenant with us through faith in Christ, that death is not the end, that we don't just simply lose life, but that we gain after death. We gain our life back. And while we still live, we pray that we would serve you as if we believe that. You even tell others the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. And we thank you, and we love you, and pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.